0: Roger Williams University is hosting a crisis management seminar on May 3rd at their Providence campus. Crises, whether a natural disaster, cyber attack or financial instability, can have severe repercussions if not handled properly. This is where crisis management plays a pivotal role. Join Roger Williams MBA students and expert speakers to learn how to prepare for the unexpected. The program is totally free and open to the public. You can register online at rwu.edu/events/crisis-management-symposium.
1: This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast.
0: As Rhode Island's first ever member-owned credit union, Navigant Credit Union has been a staple in the local business community for more than 108 years. Today, Navigant is a $3.4 billion institution serving more than 136,000 members across 25 physical branch locations. But since its founding in 1915, the mission has never changed. Navigant Credit Union's team of financial professionals have remained committed to improving the financial well-being of the families, businesses, and communities they serve across Rhode Island. Learn more at NavigantCU.org. Half Street Group brings a new generation's perspective to leadership communications, strategic public relations, and digital marketing. Half Street helps organizations and leaders take control of their own stories and manage their reputations. They get results for their clients by focusing on audience, message, and culture, and by leveraging their decade-long relationship with media and opinion leaders in the Ocean State and throughout New England. Join me and Half Street Group founder and president Mike Rea for a conversation every month about news of the day, the hottest media analysis, and a look behind the scenes at how impactful leaders drive conversations. Learn more at halfstreetgroup.com. Dot com.
2: Okay. Uh, hi, I am A.J. James.
0: And what's your what's your role in all of this today?
2: Um, I am... <laughs> sorry, I, I'm a little awkward. Um, I am someone who aged out of the D.C.Y.F. system.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for making the time. Of course.
1: Yeah.
2: Hey,
1: good morning, Bill. Marty, Senate, I'm a, a, a colleague of A.J.'s, so... <laughs> AJ's in, in uh, one of our programs and um, you know it's just a, an incredibly uh, resilient and inspiring young person but I, I'm uh, the CEO of, of Child and Family and have worked in uh, the human services and in the child welfare space for many many years so um, it's good, good to have this conversation with you.
0: Absolutely, again thank you both for, for making the time today. So. What is Child and Family, just to sort of set the table for anyone who's not familiar?
1: Child uh, and Family is the second oldest nonprofit in Rhode Island. We were founded in 1866 as the Newport home for the friendless. Friendless was a term right after the Civil War uh, that kind of described uh, a lot of orphaned kids. And, you know, the Civil War disrupted the heck out of our society. So that that's our roots really as an orphanage. But the organization has evolved organically in the ensuing 158 years. So we provide everything from early childhood education to um, support for long-term seniors in their homes. The, the bulk of what we do is kind of in, in the middle of that lifespan where we really try to strengthen families and then also support youth who, uh, unfortunately, sometimes, not often, but sometimes, Cannot be with their biological family, so that includes foster care, residential treatment, and the program that AJ is in, which is one that's designed for youth. Many of whom have spent a lot of time in institutional settings. And AJ, you can describe that better than I. Yes. But to help those youth uh, prepare for adulthood in terms of what we want for what we should all want uh, for you know young people in the in the society so um quick
0: overview yeah no i appreciate it aj if you could describe as as much as you're comfortable with your your experience
2: yes um so i was uh well a little background so i come from a family of well four my siblings so i have an older brother older sister me and my little brother and my two parents um my dad was taken out of my life at a young age due to a lot of domestic violence and stuff like that. Um, so he didn't come back into the picture until a way later. Um, and my mom, my mom was a single mother for a long time. Very, very strong woman. But sometimes life kind of gets a little too hard and people kind of fall into a deep depression and stop taking care of themselves and people around them. And that doesn't just apply for like, a lot of people when they think of depression, that just applies to like moody teenagers and like Angus and like, oh, I'm so like sad and all that. But it also applies a lot to especially like single mothers and people who come from a very unstable background. And so my mom actually struggles with addiction and, When I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. And that was kind of my mom's breaking point. It was just like too much. Like my mom has had a really rough life. So I understand it's not justifiable at all for any means. You should always take care of your children once you're a parent. That is your duty to protect them and love them. But because I was diagnosed, my mom kind of like, it was just too much for her. So. By the time I was like 14, me and my mom didn't have a relationship. I still lived with her, but it was very rocky, very unstable, very like I like I was taking care of my little brother at the time. My sister was taking care of me because I was sick a lot because my mom wasn't taking care of my medical needs. And so by the time I was 14, I was like in a really dark spot. I struggled with my mental health. I do have PTSD, depression, anxiety, bipolar. and growing up in a very unaffectionate household, you don't learn how to manage those emotions. You get very isolated and very alone. And it just like kind of sends you into a spiral. So I was kind of in and out of institutions like Marty was talking about. And institutions don't just mean like, when people think of that, they just mean, they think of like psych wards. And like, yes, I did have a lot of psych ward admissions. That's something I'm not ashamed of because I needed help. But it also applies to, like, residential programs, to group homes. And I was back and forth. I never really had a stable, like, home until I actually moved in with child and family, which was a year ago. And so being a kid that is institutionalized a lot, it it doesn't teach you for reality. They kind of, like, cradle you but in a not healthy way which no one really talks about they just think that oh you go to the psych board and you're magically fixed and you have all these coping skills and you can apply them to life but that's not how it works when you have like severe anxiety and depression and bipolar it's not one of those things that oh you can count backwards from 10 and then everything will go away no like when you have really bad social anxiety it takes a lot more than just being able to like squeeze a stress ball to get over that. And they don't teach you those kind of life skills when you are in and out of those things. And it's very repetitive, the skills that they teach you. So after a certain amount of time, they just stop working altogether. Like breathing techniques, that's the go-to. They'll be like, oh, your life's falling apart, count to 10, (laughs) you're you're gonna be okay. And it's like, that's not how it works for people who are in the system long-term. I mean, not everybody, there's different levels to like severity of like mental health and like everybody struggles the same, but at the same time, it's all different. And when you're someone who's deeper and more like affected by it, where you can't function, you're like low functioning in in society because like you can't talk on the phone, you can't order for yourself, you can't go outside, like you think you are always paranoid and always on the edge. And being in those institutions they don't teach you how to cope with that really they just they just think that if you slap a band-aid on it that everything's going to be okay and so i was in and out my entire time and during my time in the system i was not only institutionalized but in foster care because i was taken away from my mom because of everything that was going on and so after i stopped going to the psych ward which my last admission was 2021. I moved to actually a residential program in New Hampshire, which, when you have a medical disability and a mental health disability, they don't really work with each other well because there's either they want to send you to like a hospital or you can't really go anywhere. And so they actually sent me out of state because I'm a type 1 diabetic and no one in Rhode Island would take me which they don't understand that when you send kids away from their already unstable environment, like, yes, it's unstable, but this is what I'm familiar with, that also takes a really big toll on their mental health because my siblings were my support system and they still are, love my siblings, they're great. Like, shout out to them. They they are one of the many reasons why I'm still here today. Um, but sending me away out of state really took a toll on my mental health and I was very isolated and I was very alone. And growing up in a very poor family, my siblings couldn't come down and see me. They couldn't drive, like it just, it wasn't accessible to them. And it took a really big toll on my mental health and I got into a really dark spot. And when I lived in New Hampshire, my Nana, who was literally my best friend, she was the one that took care of all of us. Very sweet, old, Cape Verdean lady, very wise she was great um she passed away when i lived in new hampshire and that really kind of like made me realize that like the system really is messed up because they didn't let me go down and see my family they didn't really care necessarily and it wasn't until i left that i actually was able to work on my mental health in a Genuine way that would actually accommodate to reality. I had never had that independence or freedom to take care of myself and actually like be held accountable for taking care of myself. You can interrupt me. Uh,
1: so, Bill, AJ's point about being out of state. So, Rhode Island right now has a record number of, of youth placed in out of state residential programs. Hmm. Also, record numbers of, of youth going in and out of psychiatric settings. And it's really because the state has not invested the energy in a long range plan or the money in hey, the right kind of programs and services here in Rhode Island. So, you know, I, I think what AJ's describing is a uh, in, in terms of our own history is emblematic or it's indicative of the state's child welfare system. In terms of being inadequately designed and inadequately resourced, so just wanted to kind of add that policy frame. But thank you. I didn't want to <laughs> no, of you're, course. You're, you're, you're incredibly articulate.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you. and and also, I appreciate you very much being open to such an extent. I think that your story is it's it's a powerful one, and it's something that takes a lot of courage to share. And it's super important for other people who may be experiencing anything similar to here you know martin my question would be and what i keep hearing is is stability or instability what role does child and family play in providing a level of stability for folks who are you,
1: you're better. or aj um
2: actually on my birthday which was in november i did a whole speech at like this little event and I actually did talk about child and family and their role in my life. A lot of people, which some people come from a more privileged background. And so to them, living in group homes is kind of like, oh, like it's, it's a negative thing. And they view it as like something that makes them like, oh, I, I, I live in a group home, I'm a loser. But actually for me, coming to child and family was probably the best thing that has happened to me in a very, very long time which I do not say that lightly because a lot of bad things do happen to me. I have bad luck. But when they accepted me, when I lived in New Hampshire, I remember my staff came in and was like, hey, you have an interview today. And I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, you have an interview to leave and go back to Rhode Island. And I'm not going to lie because I am a person of color. Um, they The first thing they said is, yeah, we're located in Newport and i was very scared i thought that it was just going to be a whole bunch of white people and that they were going to mm-hmm. judge me and talking about me. yeah i am talking about <laughs> you and i just thought they were just going to judge me and like i was very iffy on it but they explained a lot about their program and like kind of the house setup like we have doubles and triple rooms and we like all sleep like in the same like area, and we have an upstairs living room, a downstairs living room, which is very bougie, may I add.
1: Um,
2: a nice kitchen, um, a, like an art room. It's very nice. It's very nice. And So I was like, okay, I'm actually going to give this program a try, even though I'm scared, because I had never lived in Newport before. And when I went there, a lot of times when I have gone to new places, like institutions and all that, I am so used to having to put on a front of being like, Polite. Well, I am polite. Don't don't take that out of context. I am a polite person, but very much like overly very fake. Yeah, like very not authentic. Like, yeah, exactly. And so when I went there, I actually was like, you know what? I'm gonna be myself and see how people react because this is how I'll know if this is for me. And when I say off the bat it matched my energy, I was like, hey, I'm AJ, I like I go by they, them pronouns, like I'm, I'm quirky and weird. And they're like, cool, me too. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I actually, I get along with people older than me, better than I do with kids my age. And that's because I am very mature for my age because I've been through so much. And all the staff, literally all of them, I instantly connected to they are very respectful and very considerate. And something you'll see a lot when you're in institutions a lot is that people become kind of distant in the sense of, yes, you should have boundaries. Like you shouldn't be trauma dumping on children or like telling them like your address, like never that. But certain people become distant in the sense of like undermine your mental health and kind of like make a mockery of it. Like, oh, here's another kid with depression. Oh, you think you're so unique. But it's like, that's very belittling and degrading. Whereas in child family, they relate to you on a level of like respect. Like you go through this and yes, you are in charge of your actions, but also you shouldn't be punished because you struggle with your mental health, which is something when you are a long-term institutionalized kid, they do not give you that respect at all because like psych wards and like mental health programs like that are always for short-term kids so when you they'll literally tell you when you go into the psych ward that you're only supposed to be there for seven to ten days i was my stays were always more than two months my last admission was seven months and you they are not built for those long-term kids Mm. and it's very you start to feel like you're the problem like it's like i have all this trauma and all these like negative things in my life but they somehow turn it into oh you're just being dramatic and like you need to like just stop being sad whereas here off the jump i remember the i'm very i'm very private and i don't like to express my emotions which i have been working on and i don't like crying in front of people and i remember the first time i cried here it was because i my nana's birthday was the a week after i came and so I was crying and I was like, I felt so uncomfortable because I was like, I don't know these people. I'm not supposed to cry in front of new people. You know, I have these like strict rules that I like to follow. And one of the staff sat me down and was like, I don't know you, I don't know what you've been through, but whatever you're feeling, you're valid and you're allowed to be upset. And if you want to talk about it, you can, but you don't have to, I can stay with you, I can leave you alone, whatever you need, we got you. And it was the first time in my life that someone did not make me feel guilty for feeling like, like bad for myself. And so I instantly knew that I was going to, I was going to fit in. I was like, oh my God, these people are so considerate. They're so genuine. Can I jump in? Yes. Okay. So
1: Bill, well, that's a really good question. And I think AJ deserves the credit because really most of the work is, is really uh, AJ's. But uh, we we do work as an organization, we work really hard to have the right people because this works tough. And you you really organizationally have to have a good fit with the leadership with the people in those positions. And um, so especially during the pandemic, uh, we have worked really hard to make sure we have the right people that have the supports organizationally so that they in turn can Provide the support that AJ described. So it's it's not coincidental. It takes um, uh, a lot of hard work on everybody's part, but uh, AJ's been doing most of the work.
0: Well, I sense a real mutual respect. And I think that as we discuss in general, the broad conversation around health and human services, for lack of a better term, because that's obviously not a super acute term, but all we hear about on a news level or on a statewide level or too frequently, what we hear about is our breakdowns. Breakdowns in terms of facilities, breakdowns in terms of staff, breakdowns in terms of programs, breakdowns in terms of just direction. What I'm yeah. hearing today sounds like a 360 full spectrum situation where I'm sure it doesn't always 100% work. I mean, who bats a 1,000? But, boy, have you instituted, Martin, a system well, well, that works.
2: Well,
1: Bill, I think so. But we're, we're a little microcosm. And, and you know, if, if uh, the program that, that we uh, run that's a part of our independent living program that uh, A.J. is going to be moving into uh, their own apartment here in the near future, wow. it's, it's, a, it's a relatively small program. And, and frankly, in this environment, it, that's okay because we were in the midst of a real workforce crisis. So, you know, I think we're we're a microcosm and we really work hard to do it right. I guess what I would wanna add and challenge your listeners, I think as a state, we need to have higher expectations of ourselves so that in turn we can meet the expectations of young people like AJ, who's super smart, man. And, you know, has all sorts of possibility. So we're going to do everything we can to um, continue to support AJ. But I just think as a state, we need to have higher expectations. And we also need to be more honest with one another around what do we need to do differently to get from here to there Mm -hmm. and, and not be, uh, just like, okay, it works hard. We're not going to get it right. Uh, you know, Hey, I, I don't accept that after all the years I've spent in the field, you, you work with somebody like AJ, and you're inspired to say, yes, what we do works, and uh, hey, we can even do a better job.
0: So I, I, I salute that messaging so much, and I think it's so important. Again, it's a narrative that is too often ignored in the broad space that, that we're talking about today, and it's, it's outrageous, is what it is, and yeah. we have... So many gaps in our systems as a whole in Rhode Island, in the country, in the world, probably in the universe when we get to interplanetary exploration. I'm sure some of these challenges are, you know, part of life everywhere, let's say. But there's also, we have the tools and the, the humans to be able to overcome them. That's what makes us special. That's what makes us different here in 2024. AJ, how old are you, if you don't mind? I am 18. Wow. Don't go in thirty. Yeah, so totally. Not, yeah, yeah,
2: <laughs> basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's a maturity level that goes beyond the
0: 18 years. Yeah, super. Very much so. L- last question, AJ. If in, and really just more of a, a sort of setting up what I'm sure will be some wise words from you. But for anyone out there who's listening right now who has struggled with anything medically. Mental health, brain health wise, stability in their life in their lives. What what's your message to them about day one and moving forward and having an optimistic worldview when for every logical reason they ought to have a pessimistic worldview? At
2: first it hurts a lot and you feel really alone and broken and like nothing will get better. In a sense, it's like drowning and it's hard. And people will tell you over and over again, you got this, you got this, you got this, it'll get better. And it won't for a very long time, it will not get better. I will be completely honest with you. Life will kick your ass genuinely. And the only thing that will make you feel better is you. And that's something that took me a very long time to learn and to actually apply to my life. You will not change unless you want to change and you will not get better unless you want to get better. And it's hard when you think that the universe is against you and it, to be honest, the universe might be against you because I think the universe got some (laughs) grudges against me too. But it's your, you have a right to stand up for yourself and you have the right to love yourself, no matter who tells you otherwise, no matter homophobia, transphobia, racism, sexism, no matter what, you have the right to be you and love yourself as authentically and genuinely as you want other people to love you. And if you can't love yourself, at least respect yourself because once you draw those boundaries, once you start telling people, hey, I'm not gonna let you do this to me, you need to leave my life or you need to respect me, a lot of relationships in your life will either dissipate, which is a good thing, because then those people you know they weren't really meant for you, they didn't care for you, or they'll grow into something great and better and will be the most supportive relationships you'll have. So to the fellow mentally ill and other people of struggles. If you don't love yourself, I love you. I care about everybody who goes through a struggle because I've been there. And if I haven't struggled the same way, I still respect your struggle. And you got this. Even if it feels like everything and everyone is against you, you got this. And you got yourself. And one day you will look back at yourself and be able to say, I did that and you'll probably cry cuz i i did that on my 18th birthday i cried but it'll be so powerful and so relieving to look back and say i survived so yeah that's my little spiel on that well, well well said
0: very well said thank yeah, yeah. you aj martin thanks so much for your time child and family thanks for for being vulnerable and sharing your story today aj bill bill thank you
2: thank you